All right, go ahead. If you have your Bible, if you want to turn to Acts 25, We've got a massive chunk today. We have two chapters that we're going to be reading through just to, just to keep compounding the big chunks we've been doing. Maybe one of these weeks we'll just do an entire book of the Bible all in one week since that's becoming our trend. But Acts 25, you're on a device. We go through the ESV version so you can turn there and follow along. So what we've been seeing now with Paul and what we're going to see this week is this continuance of God giving Paul an audience with uh, some, some very prominent people. Uh, in the case of Paul, it was some Roman governors and Roman kings. And we remember from last week, Paul spent two years with Felix, the governor, Roman governor, who is now succeeded by a man named Festus, we were told last week. And today, we're going to see another... Roman official come into the picture, a man by the name of King Agrippa who asks to hear Paul's defense. And so I don't have time to just keep going on and on with my, with my typical 10 to 15 minute intro. Some of you guys are going, that's great, man. Just get right into the text. That's what we're going to do. So I'm going to pick right up now with uh, Acts 25. We're going to spend most of our time kind of going through Acts 26, but I'm going to read 25 because that's where we're at. And then we'll get right into 26. So Acts 25 verse 1 says this. Now three days after Festus had arrived in the province, he went up to Jerusalem from Caesarea and the chief priests and the principal men of the Jews laid out their case against Paul. And they urged him asking as a favor against Paul that he summon him to Jerusalem because they were planning an ambush to kill him on the way. Now Festus replied that Paul was being kept at Caesarea and that he himself intended to go there shortly. So, said he, let the men of authority among you go down with me, and if there is anything wrong about the man, let them bring charges against him. After he had stayed among them not more than eight or ten days, he went down to Caesarea, and the next day he took his seat on the tribunal and ordered Paul to be brought. And when he had arrived, the Jews who had come down from Jerusalem stood around him, bringing many and serious charges against him that they could not prove." And Paul argued in his defense, neither against the law of the Jews nor against the temple nor against Caesar have I committed any offense. But Festus, wishing to do the Jews a favor, said to Paul, do you wish to go up to Jerusalem and there be tried on these charges before me? But Paul said, I am standing before Caesar's tribunal where I ought to be tried. To the Jews, I have done no wrong as you yourself know very well. If then I am a wrongdoer and have committed anything for which I deserve to die, I do not seek to escape death. But if there is nothing to their charges against me, no one can give me up to them. I appeal to Caesar. Then Festus, when he had conferred with his counsel, answered, to Caesar you have appealed, to Caesar you shall go. Verse 13, now, when some days had passed, Agrippa the king and Bernice arrived at Caesarea and greeted Festus. And as they stayed there many days, Festus laid Paul's case before the king, saying, there was a man left prisoner by Felix, and when I was at Jerusalem, the chief priests and the elders of the Jews laid out their case against him, asking for a sentence of condemnation against him. I answered them that it was not the custom of the Romans to give up anyone before the accused met the accusers face to face and had opportunity to make his defense concerning the charge laid against him. So when they came together here, I made no delay, 
But on the next day took my seat on the tribunal and ordered the man to be brought. And when the accuser stood up, they brought no charge in his case of such evils as I supposed. Rather, they had certain points of dispute with him about their own religion and about a certain Jesus who was dead, but whom Paul asserted to be alive. Being at a loss uh, how to investigate these questions, I asked whether he wanted to go to Jerusalem and be tried there regarding them. But when Paul had appealed to be kept in custody for the decision of the emperor, I ordered him to be held until I could send him to Caesar. Then Agrippa said to Festus, I would like to hear the man myself. Tomorrow, said he, you will hear him. Verse 23, so on the next day, Agrippa and Bernice came with great pomp and they entered the audience hall with the military tribunes and the prominent men of the city. And then at the command of Festus, Paul was brought in. And Festus said, King Agrippa and all who are present with us, you see this man about whom the whole Jewish people petitioned me, both in Jerusalem and here, shouting that he ought not to live any longer. But I found that he had done nothing deserving of death. And as he himself appealed to the emperor, I decided to go ahead and send him. But I have nothing definite to write to my Lord about him. Therefore, I have brought him before you all, and especially before you, King Agrippa, so that after we have examined him, I may have something to write. For it seems to me unreasonable in sending a prisoner not to indicate the charges against him. Let's just stop right there before we go into 26. Now, you want to just keep in mind the layers at work here in Paul's life, right? I mean, there just seems to be so many forces of evil going against him that you might even begin to wonder if you're just reading this all the way through, like where is God in all of this? I mean, all of this back and forth, locked up for two years, going before all these Roman officials. And at some point you just go like, God, what are you doing here? Like what's the point in keeping Paul in this particular situation? And yet what's so interesting as we just kind of glaze through Acts 25 is that Jesus was actually at the center of it all. In fact, go back to verse 19. Look at what it says. Uh, He says, rather they had certain points of dispute with him about their own religion. And this right here, about a certain Jesus who was dead, but whom Paul asserted to be alive. So what's the real issue going on here? right? Don't you ever just wish that somebody would just tell you what's really going on? Well, that's, that's what we have here. Verse 19 tells us that all of our problems, all the problems Paul was having, all the problems we have fundamentally are an issue of unbelief in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that's not me trying to simplify things, Right? There's, there's, there's stuff, there's complications that come into things. But in fact, it's unbelief in Jesus that creates complexities due to the spread of sin and all the layers of brokenness that sin creates. Paul was on trial for his belief in Jesus. But what we're going to see here in 26 is that his trial becomes another opportunity for testimony. So let's pick right back up at 26, verse 1. So Agrippa said to Paul, you have permission to speak for yourself. Then Paul stretched out his hand and made his defense. 
I consider myself fortunate that it is before you, King Agrippa, I'm going to make my defense today against all the accusations of the Jews, especially because you are familiar with the customs and controversies of the Jews. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. My manner of life from my youth, spent from the beginning among my own nation and in Jerusalem, is known by all the Jews. They have known for a long time if they are willing to testify that according to the strictest party of our religion, I have lived as a Pharisee. I now stand here on trial because of my hope in the promise made by God to our fathers, to which our 12 tribes hope to attain as they earnestly worship night and day. And for this hope, I am accused by Jews, O king. Why is it thought incredible by any of you that God raises the dead. I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And I did so in Jerusalem. I not only locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priests, but when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. And I punished them often in all the synagogues and tried to make them blaspheme and in raging fury against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. Verse 12, in this connection, I journeyed to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests. And at midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven brighter than the sun that shone around me and those who journeyed with me. And when we had fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. And I said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, but rise and stand upon your feet for I have appeared to you for this purpose to anoint you as a servant and witness to the things in which you have seen me and to those in which I will appear to you, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Verse 19, therefore, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but declared first to those in Damascus, then in Jerusalem and throughout all the region of Judea and also to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds in keeping with their repentance. For this reason, the Jews seized me in the temple and they tried to kill me. And to this day, I have had the help that comes from God. And so I stand here testifying both to small and great, saying nothing but what the prophets and Moses said would come to pass, that the Christ must suffer and that by being the first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim light both to our people and to the Gentiles. Verse 24, and as he was saying these things in his defense, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, you are out of your mind. Your great learning is driving you out of your mind. But Paul said, I am not out of my mind, most excellent Festus, but I am speaking true and rational words. For the king knows about these things, and to him I speak boldly. For I am persuaded that none of these things has escaped his notice. For this has not been done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you believe. And Agrippa said to Paul, in a short time, would you persuade me to be a Christian? 
And Paul said, whether short or long, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me this day might become such as I am, except for these chains. Then the king rose and the governor and Bernice and those who were sitting with them. And when they had withdrawn, they said to one another, this man is doing nothing to deserve death or imprisonment. And Agrippa said to Festus, this man could have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. This is the word of the Lord, the long word of the Lord this morning. Well, what does it mean as we see Paul here with this testimony that he keeps bringing to the table? What does it mean to have what we see here, which is an increasingly bold testimony? Like Paul's not backing down. He's not trying to manipulate. He's not trying to maneuver. He's not trying to free himself. But in fact, his testimony becomes increasingly bolder for Jesus. What does it mean? mean to have a bold testimony for Jesus. And I think it would be helpful to make a distinction right now between a bold and a brash testimony, right? We can have a bold testimony, but we can have a brash testimony. But a brash testimony is one that's self-assertive, right? It's one that's noisy. It's one that ends up being overbearing. In other words, it's a testimony that becomes all about you, becomes all about us. This is not what we see with Paul. What we see in Paul is a bold testimony. And a bold testimony, on the other hand, as opposed to a brash testimony, is one that denies the tendency to over-glorify oneself and put all of the emphasis on the one who's actually being testified about instead. That is a testimony of increasing boldness, which is the kind of testimony we see being developed in Paul here throughout most of the book of Acts, but especially here at the end of the book of Acts. So what we wanna talk about this morning is what does a bold testimony for Jesus include as we see it kind of come out of Paul? Well, the first thing we see that it includes, this bold testimony, is that it includes your life before Jesus. Paul's testimony always included his life before Jesus. In fact, Paul begins by pointing out to King Agrippa that his life was marked by devotion. And his devotion was to being a Pharisee and upholding the Jewish law. This was his manner of life, he said, from youth, right? Now, it's an important piece in Paul's defense because he believed as both a Jew and a Pharisee in God's promise to resurrect the dead. So Paul is saying, look, I'm being charged by men right now. This is insanity. I'm being charged by men right now who allegedly believe the same thing I do. So he's using true and rational words like he points out to Agrippa by the end of his defense. And this is how he begins his defense, right? But then he shifts from being opposed, the opposition he's experiencing from these Jews to his own opposition against Jesus when he was a Pharisee. He pivots, not against all the suffering and the persecution he's experiencing, but against the sin that he committed in his oppression and persecution against Christians. He says, I locked up Christians. I cast my vote for them to be put to death. I punished and persecuted them. He said, in raging fury. We might just summarize Paul by saying that before Jesus, he lived a life against Jesus. 
And of course, the good news for us here this morning is that Jesus loves those who are against him and he saves them from continuing to be against him. Because here's the thing, to be against Jesus is to be against God himself. And so that would cause some of us maybe today to think, well, I, I get that, but, but, I, but I don't feel like I'm, I'm like Paul, Ronnie. In fact, I'm, I'm not enraged and I'm, I don't feel like I'm really against Jesus at all. I mean, I don't wanna murder Christians, at least not all of the time, right? But here's what we understand is that to be against Jesus can also mean to be apathetic toward Jesus. Remember, remember who we're talking about when we talk about Jesus. We're talking about Jesus with his overwhelming love for you. We're talking about Jesus who sacrificed himself in your place on a Roman cross. We're talking about Jesus bearing all the punishment for your guilt of sin that you deserve. So to shrug that off is to reject not only the gift that you need in order to live, but the giver that you need to love. My brother, my younger brother, uh, Jason, had real bad asthma when he was young. And there were a couple of occasions that he had to be rushed to the hospital because the dude just couldn't breathe. And he really struggled in his, in his early days as a kid. What would my parents have thought if he refused to use his asthma inhaler, right? It wouldn't really be a rejection of the inhaler, but it would have been a rejection of my parents at the end of the day. It would have been a rejection of the love and the care that they desired for him. For my brother to reject that inhaler would mean he believed he was okay to just breathe on his own. But the problem was that he wasn't okay to breathe on his own. In fact, it would have been an act against my parents to just reject that inhaler. It would mean, in fact, that he hated the wisdom that he was being offered in order to sustain his life. Proverbs 8, 35 tells us this about wisdom. It says, for whoever finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord, but he who fails to find me injures himself because all who hate me love death. So this is, the, this is the writer of Proverbs talking about wisdom. And then look at what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1.23. He says, we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. So to receive Christ, to not be against Christ, to not be apathetic towards Christ is to receive the very wisdom of God in our life, the way Paul had received this wisdom. The way Paul's testimony was now being built and becoming bolder because of the wisdom of God that was increasing in him. Paul didn't use his life before Jesus as just some brash and scandalous testimony to, to shock everybody, right? To sell some books, to make a great podcast, right? or to get all the hmms in a small group. That's not what he was doing. His dark life before Jesus served as a jumping off point to lead his hearers to the deep love of Jesus. Because brokenness 
Brokenness is the catalyst for boldness. Do you know that? Brokenness is the catalyst for boldness. It's a person who walks with a limp, who is finally in a place where they have nowhere else to look to but Jesus. It's a bold thing to redirect your gaze upward when the most natural thing to do is look inward. So a bold testimony for Jesus, as we see in Paul, includes your life before Jesus. It also includes how Jesus called you to faith and repentance. This was the second time that Paul recounts his salvation story on the road to Damascus, where he says this light brighter than the sun surrounded him and he heard the voice of Jesus calling him. This was Paul's rescue from his journey down death's road. Do you know that the light of Christ is just as bright and dramatic for you when it comes and it calls you on your road to death? Because that's what it was. That road that Paul was on to persecute, oppress, and kill other Christians was in fact a road really to his own death. And it's not a lot different than the road that we travel on before Jesus. When Jesus rescues you from the clutches of Satan's power and draws you into the grip of his gracious and merciful hands, it's like a light shining as bright into sort of the caverns of your soul as it was to Paul on that road to Damascus. It's that dramatic. In fact, it's as dramatic as somebody flipping on a light switch in a pitch black room. Have you ever had that experience? We've been in a room and you can't see anything and someone just turns on the light. Before they turn on the light, you had no vision to see what was really there. Your eyes were just playing tricks on you. Why? Because you had no vision. Because there was no light there to show you what was actually surrounding you. When Jesus calls you to faith and repentance, it means you were against Jesus. And to be against him means you couldn't conceive of or even imagine the love he had for you or why you even needed it. That's how dramatic it is to have a testimony of increasing boldness because it's acknowledging something there that couldn't have been done in your own power. In fact, let me just go this far. It was a bold thing for us to just sing Jesus paid it all. It's a bold thing for you to sing Jesus paid it all and mean it and believe it. Because although the song says something about you, what you really sang was that Jesus had to do something you had no power to accomplish through any physical, mental, or spiritual strength of your own. What you just did when we sang that was you sang a song of emboldened helplessness. That's what we just did. An admittance that your faith and your repentance are a faith and repentance not of your own. That's the increasing boldness of the testimony that we have like Paul had. 
Ephesians 2.8, by grace, you have been saved through faith. And we hear that verse so much. We're almost inoculated to that verse. And then it says this, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. So the faith that we have to repent, to trust in Jesus, that's given to us too. Because that's given to us from the outside. and It's not conjured up from the inside. It means that you can be bolder about it when it comes out of your mouth. Because you're not shooting your mouth off. You didn't have anything to do with it. And it's the same truth, listen, that helps you also in your emboldenedness to be boldly compassionate and boldly patient toward those who haven't yet come to faith and repentance. Do you realize that's a bold thing to be patient with those that are taking their time, that haven't yet seen the light, but are seeing your light? Scott Sauls uh, wrote a book called A Gentle Answer, and this is what he said in his book. He says, humble people don't look in shock and say, Jesus welcomes sinners and eats with them. Instead, you say with wonder and awe and gratitude, Jesus welcomes sinners and eats with us. You see categorically where we, where we put ourselves. This is what you say. You say, can you believe Jesus saved me, right? The chief of all sinners, the king and queen of all sinners, the world series of sinners champion, the Super Bowl of sinners winner. How did that happen? Jesus pulled me from the darkest depths of the sea and breathed life into my lungs and then gave me a heart of faith and repentance. If you could have put a stethoscope to my chest before he pulled me from the bottom of the sea, you would have heard no heartbeat. Oh, praise the one who paid my debt and raises life up from the dead. This is how much drama is contained in your raising. Do you see why Paul was able to have a testimony this bold? And lastly, that increasingly bold testimony that talks about your life before Jesus, that talks about your faith and repentance that came from Jesus. It also includes an eagerness for others to know Jesus. We just saw that at the end of chapter 26. This is what's so fascinating about Paul is that Paul's mission was always wherever his feet were planted. I mean, the dude is just there. He's on mission. His testimony is there. Just give me a chance to speak, fellas. I'm just gonna kind of say the same thing over and over again but give me a chance to speak. I'm gonna do it respectfully too. I'm gonna do it with eagerness. I'm gonna plead with you. Repent and turn to God, King Agrippa. Christ suffered. He rose from the dead. He proclaimed the light. Paul was eager that people would come to know Jesus, even people that thought he was crazy. Paul, you're out of your mind. 
Would you try to persuade me to become a Christian? This is the king throwing that down with Paul right there. Paul's like, not only you, buddy, but I would have everybody become like me, except for these chains. So let's just dig into that for a minute. What was the me that Paul was so eager for King Agrippa and everyone else to become like? Because that's a bold statement to make. Become like me? I mean, they had just heard who Paul was before Jesus. They just heard how Paul came to faith and repentance in Jesus. They saw the predicament he was in as he stood before them testifying about Jesus. What would be appealing about Paul to King Agrippa? Why would King Agrippa find anything in Paul that would make him want to become Paul? It's a crazy statement for Paul to make. I would have you just be like me, King Agrippa. I mean, I'm going back to this cell in chains, but I would have you be like me. What would be so appealing? Well, the only conclusion that makes any sense and is biblical, right, is that it was the testimony about Jesus that Paul was so eager to share, a testimony so saturated with Jesus and so emptied of Paul himself. Do you notice that? The characteristic of Paul's testimony, so saturated with Jesus and his love for Jesus, his affection for Jesus, the strength of Jesus, the power of Jesus, the grace, mercy, and love of Jesus. And yeah, I was this chump that went around like murdering Christians, but let's, let's get away from that. Let's move on from that. That's the appeal. That's the appeal to you and to me as people who are having a more increasing testimony, a bolder testimony for Jesus. What is coming singing out of your life? What is coming speaking from your mouth about who Jesus is? The same thing's happening to you and to me. 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, Paul told the church, he said, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. So this testimony of increasing boldness becomes our posture as our lives become so saturated with Jesus and emptied of ourselves that in essence, this is what we're saying. We're saying to see my joy in suffering, to see my hope in sorrow, to see my humility and self-sacrifice is to see the very Jesus I'm so eager to want to be seen. It's not that I don't want you to look at me. It's that when you do, I want you to see Jesus. That was Paul. A testimony becomes bold when it becomes less about the one who is saved and all about the one who does the saving. And here's what strikes us really, I think for us today in terms of what this passage implies for us, here's what strikes us about Paul's increasing boldness. It came at a point, listen to me, when we should have just seen the worst version of Paul. Right? I mean, look at what this brother's going through. And look at the, the tone of his words, the optimism of spirit. It should have came 
at a point when we would have seen the worst version of Paul, which is where a lot of us find ourselves right now, don't we? Jen Wilkin recently said this on Twitter. She said, friends, if you are feeling like you're not the best version of yourself right now, remember that everyone you interact with is likely feeling the same. And she said, kindness and gentleness and generosity of spirit will see us through. And she's right. And this is what we saw in the way Paul and his testimony was increasing in boldness. Because this is what it means to have a testimony of increasing boldness for us, okay? It means as circumstances become more trying and your faith becomes more tested, you lean all the harder into Jesus. People who lean hard into Jesus, by the way, defy categorization. Because joy and suffering, hope and sorrow, and humility and self-sacrifice is to see a Jesus that defied the patterns of this world as he denied himself in the world. What will we be remembered for when we look back on COVID-19? We have to say that every week. You have to consider that with everything you say, with everything you're thinking, with everything you're posting, to take that into consideration, to remember that every time you speak a word, if you've been saved by Jesus, you are giving testimony to the power and the grace that he has in your life, right? What will you be remembered for when this pandemic has finally passed? Complaining? Angry, political, joyful, patient, reasonable. The latter is nothing short of the boldness of Jesus. And let me just say this. If you're somebody who's been saved by Jesus, you have that boldness. And it's not a brashness. It's not, it's not a fist in the air, right? It's not, it's not a making it all about you. But it's something that is always shining a light, putting a spotlight on the one who has saved you. And in that, and in the, the death-defying act of having a testimony like that that is increasingly bold and not bold in the way that the world is bold, that's brash but bold in the way that leans into humility, that leans into love, that leaves into open, being open to reason, that leans into compassion, that leans into let me listen and hear what you have to say. I don't need to talk right now. That's bold. Why? Because the tendency is to go the other way. And boy, has the church been going the other way. Let's not go the other way. Let's have a testimony. Let's have lives that speak of the fact that we know everything is going to be okay. Because it is. Because we follow Jesus like Paul. 
We have been given the strength and the power to live that out, that humble, Jesus-like boldness by Jesus himself, which is why we're going to, if you have your cup, we're gonna celebrate communion together. We acknowledge that power comes through brokenness. It comes through self-denial and it comes through being a servant. And our greatest model of that, we remember, is the broken body and shed blood of Christ. Because without it, we forget what it is that actually sustains us. It's like forgetting to eat, although I've never had that problem. <laughs> Together, we remember that Jesus sustains our life. This is a symbolic act for us as the church, for Christians. If you are somebody sitting here today who has not come to faith in repentance in Jesus, like we've been talking about, we would just ask that you would not yet eat and drink with us this morning. And that's not a way for us to exclude you. It's a way for us to say, we want you to reflect and think about what was being taught this morning, what was being taught to us through God's word, and that you might repent of your sins, that you might come into forgiveness with Jesus Christ so that you can be part of our church family and take this as a remembrance of the life that you've been given. So let's eat the bread now together, Christ's broken body. Let's drink now the cup symbolizing his shed blood. We pray with me. Lord, we thank you for the testimony of Jesus, which becomes our testimony. That's why it can be a testimony of increasing boldness and not brashness, but one that leads with humility and self-denial. Lord, we have so much in terms of what we have to offer a very weary and fatigued world right now. God, would you strengthen us this morning? Would you strengthen us through the eating of this bread, the drinking of this cup, remembering, Lord, that everything is held tightly within your hands? Lord, would you remind us again today as we scatter, as we go to our homes and our neighborhoods and our jobs and our families and relationships, and we are met with the brokenness that surrounds us, Lord, or would you remind us of how deeply you continue to sustain us? Lord, thank you. Thank you for sustaining us through these times. We know the church has gone through worse times than this. But these are the times we find ourselves in and we don't want to be a people that leads hopelessly. Help us to lead with hope. Lord, give us your humble strength, your humble power to be bold ambassadors for the truth of the gospel. And let that encourage us today, Lord, 
Let it strengthen our souls today. And Lord, if anybody here would be somebody who says, but I don't have that strength and I want to know Jesus and I want to have that bold testimony, I pray, Lord, that you would draw them to yourself in repentance and faith. Lord, that they would become part of this church family, that they would become your son or daughter. Lord, that we would hear about it, that we would know it, that we would rejoice in it. Thank you for the goodness of Jesus this morning, God, we pray in his name. Amen.